If uh, I haven't met you before, my name is Grant. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Christ the King, and I want to welcome everybody here to the Bellingham campus. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us at our Ferndale campus and those who are watching online as well. We're just glad that you're here. We're starting a brand new series called Relationships. I'm a little freaked out and a little scared because I know how incredibly tender this subject can be for people. So I'm going to ask you to make a commitment as much as you possibly can over the next six weeks And that's to stay with me all of the way through. Because if you just grab little pieces of this one, you could end up in some theologically very deep weeds. I just want to encourage you to step with us, walk it through. No matter how hard it may be or how difficult your past may have been, every single week we're just going to kind of keep building one block on top of the other. And I just encourage you to stick with me all the way through. This past December, I encountered a perfect storm of broken relationships. I sat in my office with a young married couple and I heard the words drip off of her tongue directed towards her husband, I hate you. Now that was difficult because the same tongue that said I hate you earlier had said to love and to cherish in sickness and in health for as long as we both shall live. I knew she said it because I officiated her wedding ceremony. I sat with a father and a son And I heard the high school student look at his dad and say, I hate you. And I watched the dad who at some point in his life had held that boy in a little tiny bundle of blankets. I watched his entire relational world just crumble right in front of me. I I sat with a college student praying together and I heard them say this, I hate myself and I hate that God created me this way. And in the silence after that sentence, I believe I heard God's heart break. I sat between two followers of Jesus who used to be business partners. And I heard one of them say, and I quote, I wish I had never met you. The same voice that sometime in the past must have said, hey, let's work together. It's going to be amazing. Was now cursing the day that they had been brought together in a business relationship. And in those dark moments, I tried to reconcile what I was seeing with the truth that the Bible teaches. And here's the truth, whether we like it or not. As humans, we're all created for relationship. We're all conceived in some sort of a relationship. From the second we're born, we have a relationship with a mom or possibly a nurse. We grow up with some kind of a relationship in a family. We create lifelong friendships and partnerships. We meet people along the way, and inevitably we end up in relationship with some of them. We have our heart broken. Other times our lives are wonderful and good. We risk loving. Some of us dream of of happily ever after, and then we get caught in disappointed fairly regularly. And we wonder, how in the world can you put these things together? Some of us meet Jesus at a different point, a friend of sinners. We actually open up our Bible and we see that God created us to be in relationship, even when some of those relationships don't work very well. The Bible says this in Genesis chapter 1, Then God said, Let's make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, said to them, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. From the very beginning of creation, God created us out of relationship to be in relationship. But let's just say this. I mean, let's have the guts to say it. 
When your relationships are going good, life is great. When they are not going good, it's tough. When you're in love, it's great. When you're alone, it's tough. When you hold a baby that you love as perfectly as a human being can, and that baby loves you back, it's beautiful. When that baby has colic, that's hard. When that baby becomes a toddler and you laugh and you giggle and play, it's great. But when that baby grows up and doesn't want to talk to you anymore, and you're estranged, that's tough. When you're asked out, it's cool. When you get dumped, that's not cool. When you get dumped, you break out the ice cream, don't you? You try to figure out a way through it. When you're in love, all the songs on the radio are amazing and you sing along. When you get your heart broken, you hate those songs with a passion. Can you feel the love tonight? No! Because she dumped me. Right? Those are just the human relationships. I mean, what about the spiritual ones? The Bible actually teaches this. The most important relationship in your entire existence is your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus, the friend of sinners, came to establish and grow a relationship with you. The Bible actually says this. Greater love has no man than this, than a man would lay down his life for his friend. This is what blows me away about that verse. Jesus did that. He laid down his life for every single person in this room so that you could have a deep, abiding, and intimate relationship with the Most High God. That's the reason that he came. He proved he was the greatest friend of all. But I don't know about you, even my relationship in that perfection can struggle from time to time. I mean, I don't know, maybe your relationship with God is perfect, but mine has its ups and its downs. I have moments when I don't feel loved or feel like loving. There's moments when I doubt my relationship. And because I do that, I actually step away. There's moments when when I'm disappointed in my relationship with God because I want it to be vibrant and alive. But there are times on Monday mornings when I'm alone and I just want everybody to back off and leave me alone, including God sometimes. I'm in a lot of relationships. I have a relationship with Jesus. I've had a relationship with the same girl who wears a ring that I bought her 23 years ago, and that is good, and it keeps getting better. I have a relationship with my son, who's on his way to his junior prom right now. I mean, when did I blink and he grew up? I have no idea. I have a relationship with my beautiful daughter, and I have a relationship with my dogs. I love my dogs, because my dogs love me back. They think I'm crazy from time to time, but they absolutely adore me. I don't know what the deal is. Well, at least I think we have a good relationship, except with the littlest one, because every time I approach her, she pees just a little, and I think I need to work on that somehow, you know? I'm in a relationship with my parents. I Skype my mom this afternoon to say happy birthday, or to say happy Mother's Day a day early. I have a relationship with my friends, the people that I work with here at Christ the King. I mean, my relational world, personally, is a little overwhelming, and I'm not even on Facebook. Okay, let me tell you why I'm not on Facebook. I have nothing against Facebook. It's just this. I can't even manage my real relationships, much, much less several thousand virtual ones. I don't know how any of you do it and stay sane. You know, I don't, I'm just looking for conversations not to have, not on the other side of it. Our world's made up of relationships. And here's the kicker. 
If you follow Jesus Christ, if you dare to call yourself one that follows Jesus, this is what you're saying to be true and what the Word of God's going to teach us. Every human relationship we have should be a reflection of the relationship we have with Jesus Christ. I mean, that means this. We're supposed to be a shining example of Jesus in every friendship, in every romance, in every conversation, in every relational decision. And that's where it gets so tough. Parents, let me ask you, where do you find Jesus when you're screaming at your kid? Where do you find Jesus when you're breaking your wedding vow, Mr. and Mrs.? Where do you find Jesus when you're stealing top ramen from your annoying college roommate, students? Ah, I had to get personal, right? Where do I find Jesus in my singleness? Where do I find a reflection of my relationship with Jesus in every single element of my relational world, okay? So here's an exercise. We're going to walk through this together. Take a moment and think about your most important relationships, all of them. Think about them all together, the good, the bad, and the ugly, okay? And I want you to put them all in the palm of your hand for just a second. Now, come on, don't just go with the easy ones. I'm talking all of them. Your relationship with your mother-in-law your big brother, your little brother, your arch nemesis, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, your dog. I didn't include cats. They don't count. Just ask Jesus, okay? Uh, I'm going to get some letters on that one. Yes, I am. Now with this, think about it. With the best and worst of your relationships, honestly, in the palm of your hand, I want you to listen to some words from Scripture, and then I'm going to ask you a question. Which set of descriptors best describe your relational world? Okay, now I just want you to listen to them, because these are words straight out of Scripture. Here it comes. Immorality. Impurity. Idolatry. Hatred. Discord. Jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy. Just think about the list for a second. Think about how immorality rips apart a trusting relationship. How impurity changes the face of a pure dating relationship. How idolatry steals our first love. How hatred poisons our souls and makes us bitter. How our mouths can tear holes in the heart of somebody we love in a fit of rage that once it's out there, you can't bring it back. How selfish ambition makes it all about us and our needs and tempts us to focus on our rights instead of our responsibilities. How we dissent about our relationships with other people so that they can just tell us just how right we actually are and how wrong our partner is. How we divide families into factions that never talk and can never come together. And how we envy those people who supposedly have these perfect relationships. Just with the descriptors. Am I hitting a little too close to home? Because it got real quiet. Just so you know, these descriptors are known as the sins of the flesh. And Galatians chapter 5 verse 21 warns us that people who live that way relationally will not inherit the kingdom of God. Ouch. Okay, now I want you to take that ugly list, okay? And I want you to contrast it with these words. Are you ready? Here they come. Love, joy, peace, patience. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, 
gentleness, and self-control. Who wouldn't want that? Who wouldn't want that waiting on the other side of your front door every night when you came home? Who wouldn't want that in your classroom that you attend or or the, the office that you go to each and every day? I mean, that sounds amazing to me. I would love a relational world that was tipped completely over here in that love, joy, peace, and patience stuff. The the, the ugly side, those were the sins of the flesh. This side of it, the beautiful side, these descriptors are known as the fruit of the Spirit. And here's what Galatians 5 says about those. It says, those who belong to Christ Jesus, that would be you if you know him, have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. Let's not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Okay, you ready for it? Because here comes the hammer. All right? When you're in a relationship with Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit inhabits your life and your thoughts and your relationships, you and I are called to live out this fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, those things. We're called to live that out. Live it out in every single relationship that we have. Now, some of you hear that and you go, oh, that's nice. That's nice. If you were really listening to the verse, that should tick you off. It should tick you off because of this. When I was reading the list, some of you were doing the human thing and trying to shift the stuff onto everybody else. Yeah. Now, if my wife was just a little bit more patient, we would be cool. But she's not. She's the most impatient person I've ever met. You should just check it out sometime. Guess where you just went? Factions, dissension, hatred. I mean, we try to push out. If my kids just had some self-control, man, we'd be golden. If my boss wasn't so consumed with selfish ambition and could just see what a gift he has in me, man, we would just be fantastic. Why don't people get it? Why don't people get their relational worlds in place? I mean, all they've got to do is this. If everybody else would just fix themselves, I'd be fine because I'm perfect. Idolatry. Guess what platform you just crawled up on? You just declared yourself to be the king of the universe, right? Right? The Bible says you are in charge of your relational world and you're the common denominator in all of your relationships. So before you ever have the gall to ask God to work on somebody else, you have to invite him to work on you. And that's where we're going to start this series. This is just the framework, okay? So let me wrap this up. In our relationships, Jesus called us at the end of that Galatians passage to some very specific actions. Most of us don't think of these actions in the context of our relationships, but I'm going to tell you, before we get to talking about singleness, before we get talking, and I'm actually going to talk about the gift of being single, before we talk about marriage, before we talk about parenting, before we talk about your extended relationships, we need to understand this. If we don't focus on the work we have to do, it's absolutely a glorious waste of your time. But if we're willing to step up and really allow God to do this deep work inside of us, I'm going to promise you something. The sky is the limit when it comes to you having healthy relationships. It is possible to have your relationships weighted so heavily on this side that when you 
show up in a certain place, you actually bring with you love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, self-control, all of those fruits of the Spirit. It's possible to get it tipped this direction, but it's going to take some work. And the Apostle Paul tells us what the work is. You ready? Here they come. In our relationships, Jesus has called us to, number one, crucify the sinful nature. You got to crucify it, which means this. For the next six weeks at Christ the King Church, we are declaring war on everything in the first, first couple of, of, of descriptors that I gave you. We're going after idolatry. We're going after hatred. We're going after factions. We're going after envy. We're going to declare war on those areas. And I'm going to warn you about something. Everything inside of you that's human is going to push back on your effort. Martin Luther, one of my favorite writers and, and, and fathers of the faith, faith one of my favorite um, little quotes that he gave was this. He goes, when I came to Christ, I thought I had killed and drowned that old man in me, only to find out that the rascal could swim. <laughs> this is not easy stuff. I want to point something out to you. It doesn't say electrocute the sinful nature. You know why? Because that happens instantly. Crucifixion, if you remember back to our Good Friday services, this is a long, arduous, gut-wrenching process. It takes forever. And what I'm inviting you to do is this. It's to enter in fully with all of your stuff, all of your broken relationships, all of your past, all of your idolatry, all of your arrogance that says, I've arrived and if everybody would just catch up to me, the world would be perfect. To take all of that stuff and to crucify it one single hammer blow at a time. This is going to be gut-wrenching work. And some of us would say, why would I want to do this? Because scripture says, for I am crucified with Christ and yet I live. If you want to really live, this is an opportunity to move your relational world in an incredible and godly direction. It's a long process. It doesn't happen instantly. That's the warning I want to stick at the bottom of this series. Nobody gets to, you know, in six days, put their hand up and go, all fixed. I'm good to go. Let's move on to the next series. Uh-uh. This stuff can take a lifetime to unpack. So we're to crucify the old nature. Secondly, we're to live by the Spirit. How do you live by the Spirit? You live by the Spirit by being filled with the Holy Spirit. And we're filled with the Holy Spirit. And as we're doing that, we're cultivating all of the fruit of the Spirit. And I'm going to tell you again, it takes incredible amount of work. You have to be open to being pruned over the next six weeks. You've got to be open to God coming along and trimming some of those dead branches out of your soul. You're going to have to choose to live out love, joy, peace, and patience. Not just in your relational world, but in your casual world as well. Because the two of them are connected. You're going to have to learn how to count to ten. How to bring peace into a situation and not just stir stuff up. You're going to have to learn to choose a gentle response when everything inside of you is screaming, but that's not fair. You're going to have to learn to act kindly at Costco, in the gas line, during the second hour you're sitting there watching people fill up gas cans in front of you. You're going to learn how to practice self-control. 
and to choose the divine opposites of everything your flesh is going to tell you to do. Because I'm going to tell you what your flesh is going to do. Your flesh is going to tell you to make it everybody else's problem and not yours. Thirdly, we're supposed to keep in step with the Spirit. Which means over the next six weeks, we're going to work on developing a rhythm of prayer and submission to God and conversation with Jesus and gut checks and direction. We're going to be pushed to not isolate ourselves from God in the process, but to engage with God in the process. If you're going to live by the Spirit and keep in step with the Spirit, you have to admit this. You can't do this alone. This is going to take some work. And most people like to hear that last little chunk there. You know, they they love it up to this point because it's kind of spiritual and somewhat ethereal. Oh yeah, living by the Spirit, walking with the Spirit. Let's not miss the last three. Ready? They're going to come quick. The first one, don't be arrogant, okay? Don't think you've arrived relationally. God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. Even the most amazing relationships could use a little bit more work, a little bit more contact, a little bit more protection, If you have a healthy relationship, don't get cocky about it. Instead, why don't you look around at the end of some of our services and see who's got tears running down their face because maybe as a brother or sister, you're supposed to come alongside and offer an encouraging, prayerful word. Because you might think your world is perfect. But because I get to see the faces every week, I know that's not true for the high majority of people in this room. Don't be arrogant. Secondly, don't provoke, okay? So I'm going to put a rule in place. We're not going to hit marriage for at least a couple of weeks. We're going to talk about a bunch of different things in the midst of it. But even from the get-go, I'm putting a three-hour buffer on everything we talk about all weekend long, okay? So that means this. If you happen to be here on a Sunday morning at 10 o'clock, you can't say anything until one hour after the end of the service, or until three hours after the end of the service, okay? I'm going to do that. You're welcome because... That's going to keep you from jumping into your car at the end of the day, hearing what God has to say, and having something like this come out of your mouth. Well, that's first list. That sure seemed to nail you perfectly, right? Pastor was sure reading your mail, wasn't he? Mm -mm. The three-hour buffer. And let me say this. Keep your eye on your own sin, all right? We're going to walk it through one piece at a time. And here's the last one. Don't envy. Don't be looking at everybody else's relationship like it's perfect. You know, for all you know, they're lying more than you are, right? Don't fall into the trap of, if only I could get married, then it would be perfect. Don't fall into the trap of, if only I was married to him. If only I was married to her and not them, then I'd be fine. Don't fall into the trap of, 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 you know, dreaming of somebody else's relationship or friendship with God. Cultivate your own. Let's work on this together as we go through it. The Bible says in the book of Corinthians that Paul is in, in this relationship with the church, and the church is actually experiencing some relational friction. And this is what Paul says to them. I believe it's as relevant today as it was then. Examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith. And test yourself. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you unless, of course, you failed the test? And I trust that you will discover that we've not failed the test. Now we pray to God that you will not do anything wrong. There's the instruction for the drive home. I pray that you don't do anything wrong. But that you have a conversation with God there. 
Not so that people will see that we've stood the test, but that you will do what is right, even though we may say I've seemed to have failed. For we can't do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. We are glad whenever we are weak, but you are strong. And our prayer is that you may be fully restored. That is what I have been praying and asking God for for the next six weeks at Christ the King. That all of our relationships, whether they're at Bellingham or at Ferndale, would be restored. That they'd be brought back to a place of health. So we're going to do a little exercise right now, all right? I need everybody, Pentecostal background or not, put your hand like this. I want you to put the very best relationship that you've got right in the palm of your hand. Because in a moment we're going to pray and we're actually going to say, Jesus, thanks for that. Thank you for the beautiful marriage you've given me or the beautiful kid relationship you've given me. Whatever the best is that he's placed there, we're going to say thank you. And now we're going to do something else. Right beside that one, I want you to put the worst, most heartbreaking relationship you've got in your life right alongside. Now here's your human tendency. It's to do this. Here's what we're going to do for six weeks. We're going to hold it like this. And we're going to ask Jesus to be glorified in the good and to work in us on the bad. Can I tell you something? Jesus is the best marriage counselor I know. Jesus is the best parenting expert I know. Jesus is the best business mediator I have ever met in my existence. And if he's going to work on us, that means we're going to the best professional help available in Whatcom County. We're all going to the cross for the next six weeks. Because I think a lot of us have tried everything else. Can counselors help? Oh, yes. I see one on a regular basis. Can encouragement help? Can prayer help? Yes. But we've got to come to him this way first and not this way. So would you join me? Just hold your hand up just like this. It's just a sign of we're going to do this right. And let's pray together. Father God, we thank you corporately for the best relationships we have. Some are solely relationships with you. Others are relationships with husbands and wives. Some are relationships with children. And God, for all of the good relationships you've placed in our lives, we say thank you because they're from you. They're a gift. Lord, with the same hand that we lift up to you, with the same hand that holds the blessing, we also hold up the heartbreak. Father, I pray for moms and dads in this room who are estranged from their children. I pray for brothers who are not talking to each other, sisters who abandoned each other a long time ago. I pray for fiancés who are asking difficult questions. I pray for couples who've stepped over the line physically and don't know how to come back. I pray for husbands and wives who are struggling and hurting. And I pray for the next six weeks, God, 
that you would give us the courage to come with an open hand and a willing heart so that we can experience love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Father, we know what a relationship with you brings us. It brings us the fruit of the Spirit because you authored each one of them. Would you give us the courage to do this exceedingly difficult work and we will give you all of the praise and all of the glory and those with their hands outstretched agreed together and said, Amen.